We are the only minority group that you can join overnight. From Overnight Productions. In the twinkling of an eye, in fact. The reason I now live in the United States is because I fled Zimbabwe and a fear for my life. Outside Action International is a human rights organization dedicated to improving the lives of LGBTIQ people across the globe. My last count, there were over 130 bills across 33 states in the United States to roll back the rights of trans people. Especially when I know I'm right and I'm doing the right thing for the right cause, I'll stand up and I'll fight until, I don't know, until the dogs come home. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Branding rights kill World Pride Taiwan. A U.S. appeals court rules trans people covered by the Federal Disabilities Act. And gender activist Ricky Nathanson transitions from Zimbabwe to Outright Action International. Those stories and more this week because you've discovered This Way Out. Elena Botkin-Levy. And I'm David Hunt. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending August 20th, 2022. The name was no game to the hosts of World Pride 2025, so the event is now canceled. The southern Taiwanese city of Kaohsiung partnered with pride groups in Taipei and a few other cities to submit the winning bid for what they called World Pride Taiwan. Plans were in motion until August 12th when the licensing group Interpride insisted that it be renamed World Pride Kaohsiung. It's assumed by the Taiwanese government that Interpride chose to avoid conflict with mainland China. It considers Taiwan to be part of its territory and bristles at any suggestion of its independence. In Taiwan, Interpride's decision was considered an insult. A statement from the foreign ministry noted that World Pride Taiwan would have been the first such event in the region. It read, Taiwan deeply regrets that Interpride, due to political considerations, has unilaterally rejected the mutually agreed-upon consensus and broken a relationship of cooperation and trust, leading to this outcome. Not only does the decision disrespect Taiwan's rights and diligent efforts, it also harms Asia's vast LGBTIQ community and runs counter to the progressive principles espoused by Interpride. Taiwan's resistance came as a surprise to Interpride, noting that World Pride events have traditionally been named for the host city rather than the country. Its media statement said, We were confident that a compromise could have been reached. However, World Pride Taiwan 2025 organizer Aku told reporters that the specific name was used throughout the bidding and selection process, starting in early 2021. World Pride 2023 is scheduled for Sydney, in the Australia state of New South Wales. U.S. trans people who experience gender dysphoria are protected by 1990's Americans with Disabilities Act. This according to a ruling this week by the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. The landmark ADA specifically excludes transvestism, transsexualism, and gender identity disorder. 
However, U.S. Circuit Court Judge Diana Gribben-Motz wrote for the three-judge panel, nothing in the ADA compels the conclusion that gender dysphoria constitutes a gender identity disorder excluded from ADA protection. She said that the disorder definition concerns itself primarily with distress and other disabling symptoms rather than simply being transgender. Transgender plaintiff Kesha Williams sued Fairfax County, Virginia for housing her with men and denying her appropriate gender-affirming medical care during her time in jail. The appeals court sent the case back for reconsideration to the lower court, which had ruled against Williams. Other trans plaintiffs have succeeded in lower courts, but this is the first time that a federal appeals court has affirmed their coverage under the ADA. Whether or not transgender people are protected by the ADA has been controversial even within the transgender community. Some say that interpreting the law to include them provides added legal protections. Other transgender advocates insist that being transgender is not a mental disorder and object to any descriptive language implying otherwise. Staff attorney Joshua Block of the ACLU's LGBTQ and HIV project was one who applauded the appeals court's reasoning. He said, transgender people are denied a multitude of reasonable rights and accommodations, particularly while incarcerated, and the ruling is a step forward for their fairness and equality. Boston Children's Hospital employees are being warned about escalating social media attacks against its pediatric transgender health care programs. Far-right transphobe Chaya Rachek's popular Libs of TikTok is posting false claims that the hospital performs genital surgeries on people under the age of 18. Rachik also regularly calls those who offer support to queer youth groomers. Other right-wing media influencers with millions of followers are adding to the hysteria. The Daily Wire's Matt Walsh and The Daily Caller continue their sensationalistic misinformation campaigns, despite being fact-checked by reputable organizations. Meanwhile, the social media accounts of individual doctors have been plagued by vulgar and harassing comments and bogus negative reviews. The hospital's public relations office sent an email to staff members citing this increase of threatening and aggressive phone calls and emails condemning our treatment of transgender patients. Management offered suggestions on how to deal with harassment and threats and is increasing its own security staff and working with law enforcement to ensure the safety of every employee. The statement affirmed, Boston Children's Hospital is proud to be home to the first pediatric and adolescent transgender health program in the United States. Hospitals offering gender-affirming treatment to transgender youth in Dallas, Pittsburgh, and other U.S. cities have also been protested on social media. Some have been picketed for their compassionate care. National Football League defensive end Carl Nassib no doubt will say gay when he returns to play with the Buccaneers in Tampa Bay, Florida. Nassib famously came out with a video on social media last year, the first active professional player to do so. The 29-year-old Nassib played two seasons with the Bucs before he joined the Las Vegas Raiders in 2020. He became a free agent after two seasons there and signed a one-year deal with the Bucks this week. He started his career with the Cleveland Browns in 2016. Nassib rotated with other starters on the defensive line in Las Vegas. He's expected to play a similar role in Tampa Bay, where he'll join marquee quarterback Tom Brady. Brady's former New England Patriots teammate, Ryan O'Callaghan, came out after retiring in 2017. 
He told the queer athletic site Outsports that Brady would absolutely have accepted him if he'd come out at that time. O'Callaghan quipped, being married to Brazilian fashion supermodel Giselle Brungeon, I'm sure he's met a few gay people in his life. U.S. Women's National Basketball Association All-Star, Brittany Griner's Russian lawyers, have filed an appeal in her drug possession case. Griner has been behind bars since mid-February and was sentenced to nine years in prison on August 4th. The African-American lesbian was arrested at the Moscow-area airport for admittedly leaving medically prescribed cannabis vape cartridges in her luggage by accident as she rushed to make her flight. Possession of any amount of cannabis is illegal in Russia, but the penalties for mere possession are usually much less severe. Greiner is a member of the Phoenix Mercury, but many underpaid WNBA players do off-season duty abroad. She's played for the women's basketball team in the Russian city of Yekaterinburg for several years. The real drama is not on the court or in the courtroom, but behind the scenes. Russian Foreign Ministry spokesman Ivan Nechayev said late this week that they were engaged in quiet diplomacy with the United States about a potential prisoner exchange. Greiner would be traded for notorious Russian arms dealer Viktor Boot, along with former Marine Paul Whelan. Whelan has been in a Russian jail since 2020 on what U.S. officials call trumped-up espionage charges. Boot is known as the Merchant of Death, He's serving 25 years in federal prison for selling weapons to terrorists intent on killing U.S. citizens. There are serious concerns that Russia will drag out the process and demand a second convicted Russian in any potential prisoner swap. Finally, Serbian Orthodox Church Bishop Nikonor Buganovic hexed the annual Europride celebration being hosted in the capital city of Belgrade in September. In a YouTube post, he vowed, I will curse all those who organize and participate in something like that. If I had a weapon, I would use it against them. He warned that people would come to the socially conservative Balkan country to flaunt and desecrate the holy Serbian city. Nikonor serves a region that covers parts of Serbia, Romania, and Hungary. A few days after his rant was posted to YouTube, thousands of protesters filled the streets of Belgrade chanting, Hands off our children! and Stop the Parade of Shame! Local media reported that the demonstration was well orchestrated by the Serbian Orthodox Church itself. President Aleksandr Vucic told the press that he personally opposes the Pride event, but asked, What do you care if someone walks for a day? When I see that aggressive tone in someone, I always wonder what is hidden behind it. Vucic believes that Nikonor's target was probably lesbian Prime Minister Anna Brunabish, although queer activists say she's done nothing to advance LGBTQ equality since she took office in 2017. Nevertheless, Vucic added, Bishop Nikonor insulted himself and our church, humiliated our church much more than Anna Brunabish or anyone else ever did. That's News Wrap. Global Queer News with Attitude, for the week ending August 20th, 2022. Follow the news in your area and around the world. An informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeShazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more.
And you can read the transcript and listen to NewsWrap each week by subscribing to our This Way Out radio channel on YouTube. For This Way Out, I'm David Hunt. Stay healthy. And I'm Elena Botkin-Levy. Stay safe. This Way Out is supported in part by contributions from our listeners. Some give a little each month, some make a larger annual contribution. More information and a link to give are online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. Our series of conversations with notable transgender, non-binary, and gender non-conforming personalities has featured Assistant Secretary of Health for the United States Admiral Rachel Levine, singer and artist Dorian Wood, and high school science teacher Sam Long. For the final chapter, here's our esteemed guest host. Hi, I'm Roger Q. Mason. I am a black, Philippinex, plus-size, gender non-conforming queer artist of color. And this is Queerly Yours, Profiles in Courage. Zimbabwean trans activist Ricky Nathanson made history in her home country in 2019, as reported at the time by Newswrap's Laura Dickinson-Turner. A crusading transgender activist won a historic court ruling in Zimbabwe on November 21st. High Court Justice Francis Beer found that the arrest and three-day detention of transwoman Ricky Nathanson was both thoughtless and malicious. It all began with Nathanson's 2014 bathroom arrest by six police officers in riot gear for using the women's bathroom in a Harare bar. The written ruling condemned several crude, invasive medical examinations that Nathanson was forced to undergo while in custody. Justice Beer concluded that the conduct of the police in arresting and detaining her was quite outrageous. Nathanson's lawsuit asked for the equivalent of 2.7 million U.S. dollars in damages, but the judge awarded her only about $1,100. In his words, the amount was not meant to enrich the victim, but to try and salvage some kind of dignity for the pain endured. He did order the defendants to also pay court costs. Nathanson was granted U.S. asylum last year after documenting the pervasive persecutions she experienced in the oppressively anti-queer Southern African nation. Zimbabwe's rabidly homophobic dictator, Robert Mugabe, ruled the country for 20 years with an iron fist. LGBTQ people were regular targets of his vile rhetoric until he was overthrown in 2017. The online news site iHarare.com noted that Nathanson's victory was all the more remarkable because it was launched during Mugabe's tenure. Flash forward three years. Ricky is now senior advisor of the Global Trans Program for Outright Action International, an LGBTIQ human rights organization. Roger encouraged her to really open up about her story and her subsequent work. Ricky Nathanson, how are you doing? I am really, really well, and it's such a pleasure to be here. You are originally from Zimbabwe. Zimbabwe is really a country that has so many contrasting situations and so many different scenarios. My home life in Zimbabwe is really stable. I come from a very stable family background. Both my parents were in the teaching profession. I was um, I went to school. I was well-educated. But the environment and the system in which we lived um, just does not support trans people. The reason I now live in the United States is because I fled the country. I left Zimbabwe under fear for my life, having um, sued the government of Zimbabwe 
over a wrongful arrest that happened to me in 2014. Um, and to cut a long story short, I was arrested for, for simply going for using a, a, a female restroom at a, at a hotel. Yeah. And then it turned out to be a huge media frenzy. I was in jail for two days and three nights and I was, mm. I was traumatized. It really was not the best of situations for anybody. Uh, with that, I sued the government, I sued the police, and that led to to them um, really trying to kill me at the end of the day. So oh my God. Yeah, in 2018, I left Zimbabwe and I actually, I came to the United States. I'd been back and forth that year. Uh, I came for um, the Out Summit with Outright Action International, for whom I work and uh, I work. Yeah. And I didn't go back because when, in my absence, they were looking for me and they wanted to know when I was coming back. Um, they were really, really ready to um, pick me up at the airport when I landed. So I didn't go back to Zimbabwe and I'm sitting here today in the United States. I am getting chills just thinking about this. And also, like, you are such a badass in the best way. <laughs> Suing the government. And I love it. I'm really tiny. I'm only five foot four. I'm not really big. Um, but I, I think I have a really big personality. And I and in, and especially when I when I when I know I'm right and I and I'm doing the right thing for the right cause and I'll stand up and I'll fight until I don't know, until the dogs come home. What you're describing is is literally life threatening and frightening. Do, do you think that there has been any change at all since you left Zimbabwe for the states in these last five years? You know, really. So strictly speaking, there has been very really small steps. Um, I do know. I still have contact with with activism and activists back in Zimbabwe. There have been discussions um, with officials, government officials, and. Um, medical service providers to see how best trans people can be accommodated in Zimbabwe. But it really right. is difficult. I mean, there still, still is no legal gender recognition. And one needs to have a identity document that reflects what you look like. Right. By not having it, it really means that you cannot access in employment, education. So all those are all the issues that people are still facing, in, uh, trans people in Zimbabwe are still facing. They can't even open a simple bank account because they just don't look like, you know, they, what their ID says they are. So if they may be looking like a woman and the ID says that they are male, then that causes major, major problems. I mean, so literally they are erased from participation in society because if you can't go to school and you can't work, you literally are completely fringed from society. Correct. And then you wonder why is it that so many trans women turn to things like sex work? And then why is there such a huge HIV um, infection right. rate for women? It's because they are forced to do so, to do work that they should really not be doing if they, right. had, they had an ID that, that reflected who they, who they truly are. And here's what's interesting is the quote, straight fascination with sexual relations with, I, I'm assuming in some instances, these are people that folks would know are either transitioned or in transition. So yes. there's some sort of an irony in that, that officially on the surface, you know, that there's a society which is against transness and yet mm -hmm. under cover of darkness, they're mm -hmm. just as allured by it and just as fascinated by it and attracted to it mm -hmm. as anything Absolutely. else, if not more so. Absolutely, and you know, and 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 still, still harping on this on this topic of of HIV and trans women. A lot of the trans women that we spoke to who were involved in sex work, 
they would obviously um, have to do it, number one, for the money because they didn't have work, and number right. two, they just needed to, you know, to be validated as, as an individual. Ricky Nathanson is our guest on Queerly Yours, Profiles and Courage with Roger Q. Mason here on This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. Although certainly not to the same extent yet, we'll say, you know, because who knows where the United States will will go Mm -hmm. in these next elections. What did you find were sort of the differences between the way transness was identified and protected or at least acknowledged versus when you were living in Zimbabwe? The fact that transness or transgenderism or being trans, whatever term you would like to use, is acknowledged, whether it's um, accepted or not, is a starting point, right? So you are seen as being an individual. I'm fortunate enough to be living in a state which is pro-trans. I have been able to live and work as myself. And uh, interestingly enough, I went to a, a pride um, function at the home, at the, the Secretary of State in DC by Anthony mm-hmm. Clinton. And he said he wants to make sure that everybody brings their whole self to work. And that's how I felt. I felt I'm, like I'm able to bring my whole self to the table, be it work, be it in the street, be it what I, what I give to society. And it, it's so worrying to see the rollback in trans rights across the states that, that are doing it. I mean, um, my last count, I think there were at, there were over 130 bills that were waiting across 33 states in the United States to roll back the rights of trans people. So that's a big, big, big worry. And one of the main attractions that 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 we have as, as immigrants coming to the U.S., and especially coming from a situation like I previously was in, the land of milk and honey, right? This right. is where I'll go and I'll be myself and I'll, I'll change my gender marker, I'll, I'll have hormones, surgery, uh, all these things, and I will be the best person that I am. And then this happens. So it really is right. a big worry. I mean, and, and, and you're on the front lines of sort of fighting really internationally uh, yes. for trans rights. Um, you're affiliated with an organization called Outright, and I'd love for you to tell our listeners a little bit about that organization and what you do with them. So I currently am leading the um, global trans program, basically working at working on the rights of trans people in the global south, because that's where we find that the, the greatest need is. Mm-hmm. And Outright Action International is a human rights organization, and we are dedicated to improving the lives of LGBTIQ people, that's lesbian, bisexual Um, transgender, intersex, and queer people across the globe. Um, Since 1990, we have worked alongside LGBTIQ activists, um, organizations, diplomats, and policymakers, and other key partners to advance um, the rights of of LGBTIQ people. You're just one of the busiest folks in in the movement because when you're not doing all of this work, you're also... (laughs) having an extensive career in the business world. Yeah, so I mean, I was, as I said earlier on, I was fortunate enough to to have been well-educated. And one of the reasons why I think I excelled academically is because I really was not a sporty person. I I could I couldn't run, I couldn't jump, and I couldn't throw a javelin. So <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I could do was like bury my head in the books and study, study, study. 
you know, right. and I think that, that that was a testament to 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 how far I got. Um, I'm very proud to say that I qualified as a chartered secretary. And for those who do not know, we are the people that really are in charge of the corporate governance of a of of a blue chip company organization. Quote in the oh wow. Stock exchange, yeah. So um, I that was my portfolio, and I was the youngest stock exchange to have ever been appointed in Zimbabwe when I was, and I was wow. twenty years old when that happened. It was many years ago, and it's been a long career. So after that, um, I transitioned uh, many about like fifteen years later, um, mm-hmm. and when I transitioned, I could not continue working in the corporate world, obviously, right? Living in Zimbabwe as a trans woman, um, but I started my own business. Um, I provided financial services. And I ran a mod- I ran a modeling agency. Oh, niche consultancy services. Yes, yeah, so I was really busy. Um, and then, of course, the arrest happened, and then the rest is history. And now, okay, just- let's go back to this modeling agency, though. <laughs> Hold on, yeah, honey, that's what we want to hear. Tell me about this modeling agency. <laughs> so yeah, so I actually, um, so I started the modeling agency in like two thousand and I can't remember years now, two thousand and five it was. And in the seven years that I ran it, um, I produced. Six girls that went on to become Miss Zimbabwe that represented the country at Miss World, and that is oh, the extent, wow. that's the extent of my modeling year. Yeah, and I and I wow. and I produced a lot of Zimbabwe's uh, major commercial models that made it big, like overseas, internationally. Mm. That was very big in South Africa because South Africa is really is like the hub of of commerce and and everything in Africa. So they made it very big in South Africa. So yeah, that's that's what I did. Um, before I started um, my trans organization. And then I was instrumental in starting the the Southern Africa Trans Forum, which was the strongest trans movement in Africa up until the time in 2018. And now I head this this program at um, Outrabaki International. You must have a lot of young people looking up to you as, as an example and a possibility model. What advice would you give a young trans person today you know, I would say, you know, you really need to decide what it is that you want to do. Focus on that and go after it. And in so doing, prepare, prepare, prepare. You know, it means do your homework. And also something I learned many years ago when I was studying uh, for my qualification, but I did my one of one of the subjects I did was communication, where they said you have to know your audience. So for you to be able to captivate the next person that you're speaking to, be it in the business world, be it um, acting on a stage, you have to know what the what the person you're speaking to or the, your audience is expecting from you for mm. you to, to be successful. That's a very broad question. We're living in such such tumultuous times at the moment. Um, we're seeing seeing a, a shrink shrinking economy globally um, due to things like COVID-19 and the wars in Ukraine and Afghanistan. So that is affecting all of us, each and every single one of us on the globe, not only the United States. We need to identify what it is that we want to do. What do we want to go after? Focus on that and really make sure that we're adequately prepared to take it on and for them to accept us. I love that. Ricky Nathanson, you are a true global treasure. Thank you so, so much for coming on. Thank you so much for inviting me. And it was such a pleasure and an honor to be here. Ricky Nathanson is the senior advisor of the Global Trans Program for Outright Action International. This has been Queerly Yours, Profiles in Courage with Roger Q. Mason.
Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Some program material this week came from Elena Botkin Levy and David Hunt, produced by Brian DeShazer. Queerly Yours, Profiles and Courage with Roger Q. Mason, was produced by Brian DeShazer and Roger Q. Mason, with music and audio engineering by David Gonzalez. Blondie performed some of the other music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed our theme music. This layout thanks the Kicking Assets Fund of the Tides Foundation, the Yavana Foundation, and donors the Jane and Deborah Cluey Charitable Fund, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Thank you. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at P.O. Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lucia Chappell and the entire This Way Out crew, I'm Greg Gordon. Thanks for listening. Online at thiswayout.org and on WORT Madison, Wisconsin, KPOV Bend, Oregon, CKUW Winnipeg, Manitoba, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.